Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning uh, to our audience, uh, regardless of where you are. It's morning in uh, in Toronto, Canada, and it's afternoon in London. Um, I want to. Uh, my name is Robin Ayub. I'll just do a bit of an introduction, just to introduce you to the channel. My name is Robin Ayub. Um, I am the founder of uh, Localization Fireside Chat Podcasting Channel, and um, through this podcast that I created a few months ago. I have had the privilege to host insightful conversations with experts, with colleagues in our localization industry, and uh, look forward to further conversations as of um, uh, today's conversations promising to be, and I'm excited about this one. It's an incredible opportunity to bring together thought leaders in our industry, professionals, to tell their intriguing localization story. How did it all begin to them? What are they up to now? And um, perhaps discuss some trends and challenges and innovations in our industry, of course. The localization fireside chat have, became, have become valuable resource for anyone passionate about the localization industry. And I'm proud to report that we are the fastest um, growing uh, channel on LinkedIn uh, in terms of uh, pages uh, of new growth that we're attracting. We're, we're the fourth right now in all industries um, and in, not just in the localization industry. So we're, taking off, we're, on a, we're off to a good start. Things are happening with the localization fireside chat, and it's based on the content that we're delivering. We're delivering content that people like. And our YouTube videos are really hitting, like in our localization industry, it's pretty unreal to see, you know, YouTube videos hitting over a thousand views on YouTube. Generally, those YouTube videos that are typically in the localization industry stays around between a 50 to 150 to 100 maximum. So also, that's a good news for our uh, for our uh, audience and for our guests who are joining our channel as well. Um, today's topic. Uh, first, I want to introduce my uh, my good friend and colleague, and I've known him for many years, and I had the privilege and the honor to know for many years, Pablo Navasquez. And uh, Pablo joined me from London, England, today. And uh, Pablo is a managing director for. Uh, key content, and uh, he is uh, transforming that organization in many ways, but I can't wait to hear a little bit more about what he's doing there. And also, um, we're trying to cover today several things in our discussion. So, you know, the major topics that we're going to try to start today uh, uh, with Pablo is uh, three, three, four items. One is multilingual marketing. Everybody talks about multilingual marketing. We'll dig deeper a little bit into that, maybe if time gives us a little, if we have time, we'll uncover a bit more on that on that topic. AI content generation. Everybody's talking about AI content generation. I can't we I can't wait to hear Pablo's opinion on the matter. And also, we'll talk about international SEO, which is very very interesting for anybody who is trying to do marketing in regions that they are not natural to them. It's not it's not originating from them. So those are target audience. Welcome to the show, Pablo, and uh, welcome to the channel. I really appreciate having me, have you with me today on the, on the podcast. If you don't mind, just introduce the audience to you, uh, who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, the mic is yours. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Robin. I'm, I'm delighted to, to be here. Um, you know, you've had so many excellent guests, so it's, it's fantastic to be part of this of this panel. And by the way, congratulations on those amazing figures. I mean, those were some serious uh, numbers that you show in there. So, uh, yeah, well done. Congratulations. Um, so, yeah, so maybe a, li a little bit about myself um, and a little bit about my uh, 
you know, how I, I am part of this industry. Um, so, uh, yeah, so my name is uh, Pablo Navasquez. As you said, I'm based in, uh, in London, in the UK. I just came back from actually I was in, in Germany for most of the week. So like you, I was, I was traveling uh, for business. And um, I'm currently, as you said, the managing director at Key Content, which is a, a global uh, content marketing agency. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, my background, this industry, I always go back to something that uh, someone that you know, um, that Rory Cowan, the, the founder of Lionbridge, used to say. And he, used, he, he said a couple of times something that I've adopted. Um, he said, um, you know, this industry is great. And one of the good things about it is that it's full of misfits. Now, you know, misfits can have a, a negative connotation, but he said it in a positive way. And, and what he meant was that in our industry, the number of people that um, uh, have an interest in the outside world, that are, have an interest in communication, that maybe uh, has lived in, in different countries, maybe the uh, significant other is from another country. Um, you know, I think that's, that's something that's very unique to, to our industry. And I think it's something that definitely I tick a lot of those boxes. So you could apply a, lo a lot of those things um, to me. Um, I've always been interested in content. I think uh, just to give you an example, when um, when I was growing up and I was a little boy in, in Madrid, Spain, where I grew up, um, I wanted to be a journalist. So I used to, to write my own newspapers um, at a very young age. And at the same time, my, my parents used to travel quite a lot for, for work and they used to bring me um, comics and cassette tapes from different places. And I used to love that stuff. I would not understand I anything. I didn't know that about you. I'm finding a few new things about you now. And I've known you. Well, it's always, yeah, there you I'm glad we I'm glad we hosted you on this episode. I'm finding out new stuff now. <laughs> there you go. But, but I think it's sometimes it's interesting when you go back and, and, and you know, where your interests lie when you were a younger person. I think that says a lot about you. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I feel so at home in this in this wonderful industry of ours, I, I believe. Comes natural um, to you, doesn't it? I think so. I, I always been interested in, in, in this in this item. And again, I I'm still am like like when I was a little boy, I think I still think it's fascinating. The world has changed. Certainly it's a lot easier to access global content now than it was back in the 80s. There's no doubt about that. But um I think this, this is an amazing industry and full of uh, great people. And and I think that I'm sure we'll touch on that later. I think uh, people in this industry has a lot to give um, into today's business environment and social environment. And I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll cover that later. Um, maybe to tell you a little bit about how I got started uh, in, in the language industry proper. So I actually uh, started my career in publishing. So I worked for a, for a publishing company. That was my first job. And then I did a series of roles in, in sales and marketing. And my first role in the language industry proper uh, was for, a, for for language line. Um, it was uh, in the early 2000s, and um, there was language line UK, which at the time was separate from language line US. Now is the is the same company, and I ran the localization uh, department there. And language line was very unique at the time in that you know uh, most of the clients were in the public sector, so that meant that demand for languages was very specific to certain uh, groups. And, you know, we had to be very creative, you know, in terms of producing audio and video and a lot of different formats. And, it's, you know, and, and by the way, that was a great company at the time. It was a lot of fun. Um, and, and I loved it. And I said, since then, yes, I, I then that's when I felt, look, I, this is the industry where I belong. I, I want to stay in this industry. That's where I'm going to, to stay. So um, so I, I stayed since then. Right. And that's been uh, 20 years uh, since. So. After uh, Language Line, I joined a company called CLS Communication, which is where you and I uh, 
got to meet for the first time, right? Um, yeah. And then, um, yes, so for those that don't know, so CLS was a, a Swiss a global language service provider, a fairly large one at the time, you know, I think it was a top 10 LSP at the time. And um, it was very much focused on, on what is called now regulated industries, so finance, life sciences, legal, and I ran the, the, the UK. So I was the managing director for, for the UK. Um, and again, you know, again, I was very lucky. I had a great team. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, you were part of that. So we had, we had, a, it was an excellent group of people yes. and it was a lot of fun as, as well, right? Indeed, um, it was fun. It was very fun. I really appreciated the, uh, the experience with CLS as you did. And, yes. uh, you know, I used to enjoy the uh, gathering of the uh, team like I do now. I mean, all of our industries are the same. It doesn't matter. Like anytime you get a few people from the localization industry, you feel the camaraderie and you feel the connection. And especially like if they are from the same company. You know, you know, I, we just had our conference in Montreal, uh, the Canadian mm -hmm. Language Industry Association. Oh, great. Know, come from different companies. They come from different, you know, technology service providers, et cetera. But as soon as they get into the room under the one one roof and they start talking and they start engaging in conversation and networking, you feel like a, you feel like you're in a family almost uh, because they all have the same. Uh, they speak the same language. They have the same words. They have the same uh, aspiration, if you will. They have the same mm -hmm. outlook on things. And I remember when. You and I, uh, you and I working together at CLS, we had that. I mean, Doris Alvester, God bless her. And she said, you know, it's, it's she compared it to a family at the time. I mean, uh, for those who don't know Doris, Doris was the uh, CEO and the founder of CLS. And she always had this um, uh, aspiration to make CLS a family. And she did uh, at the time. You go to meetings, you feel like you're in, belong, you belong to one family. So. And uh, it was I had the honor to meet many great people, including you, Pablo, in in, in that in that space. So, thanks for bringing that up. You just gave me good memories. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was it was really a, a fun time, as you said, a, a great culture, um, great focus on, on on the premium side of the market as well. You know, high quality. You know, um, yeah, I, th I think it was it was a great experience. And we know what uh, the logistics and. You know, you've, you've done, you know, you already know a lot about this stuff. So uh, I know I'm, I'm in good hands. So I think we, we were sort of, yeah, we were talking about CLS and then uh, CLS was uh, eventually acquired by, by Lionbridge, um, which was another great experience. So, uh, you know, then I think my role changed, you know, Lionbridge was uh, organized in a different way. So it was not so in Europe, not so uh, focused on, on, on markets, but more on groups of clients. So I managed different verticals and different, uh, yeah, different groups. Um, and again, another great experience. Uh, I was again very fortunate with having a, a great team. Most of them are still still there. And then um, nine months ago, so I, I made another change. So I joined uh, Key Content. So I was approached by um, by the owners of the company, and they said, "Hey, Paolo, look, we got this company. We are very ambitious. We want someone to help us growing and and, and double the size of the business." And um, we had a number of conversations. And yeah, I mean, it's it, it was great. Like there were lots of things that I liked there. Um, you know, they had an amazing set of clients already, uh, very big brands that, that you would recognize. They, they were delivering amazing work, um, and I saw a lot of potential with with the company as I still see uh, today, uh, nine months later. And then, um, yeah, and also for me, I think it was interesting. It was interesting to work with global content that was close to localization but not quite localization so a lot of content creation and producing uh, different types of, of content and and also for me um also it was a bit of a challenge in the sense that i've always worked for mid-size 
or larger companies, you know, private equity owned listed companies. And this is more a company in a, in a growth mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's for me a new experience, which I'm, I'm really, really enjoying. So that's, that's where I am today. So uh, <clears throat> tell me a little bit about, you know, key content, like in terms of, um, you know, give me a little bit of background on the, if you don't mind, on the company, uh, what's your aspiration? Uh, what would you like to do in five years? I don't know if there's a plan for that or two years yep. or whatever it is. Uh, just give us a little bit more of a, you know, what's the raison d'etre, if you will, for key content. Okay, content, excellent. Well, okay, key content is a company that's grown organically, and essentially, what what the company does, we were very focused on, uh, especially on SEO, international content in different languages. So, so content that um, you know is is needs to perform. And I think this is one of the things that attracted me again about this business is that you're not just producing or translating content for the sake of it, but you have a, a set of expectation where there is brand awareness or uh, conversion or traffic or customer loyalty. These are really measurable activities and content is a way in which you can achieve those those goals. So again, I, I think that element is, is very interesting. Now, what is very unique about key content is that there are lots of agencies that do this locally, but I've seen very few people, if anybody, that can do it as well for so many markets. We have clients for which we produce daily content for maybe 20 plus markets. Um, and again, content that performs, that delivers what the client needs to do. That's very unique to, to key content. Um, because we're very focused on, on online content. So the, our main industries are travel, um, uh, travel e-commerce, which obviously the, the two biggest sectors online, and increasingly health. And health, you know, I'm not talking about only pharmaceutical, but your know, fitness, um, insurance, that sort of uh, content as well. So those those are the main thing. And and you know our our goal is again to 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 help our clients find opportunities through content. So we see content as a means to achieve an end. And again, the end is more customers, happier customers, more loyal customers. Uh, and and this is a way of one one of many ways in which achieving that. But it, it is certainly an important one in the online world. You know, it's funny. Uh, you and I have talked about this many times over the years, and in the number of conversation we've had. Uh, and I can see over the uh you know the number of years that i've been in this industry uh i think uh yesterday somebody was asking about this on 21 years now in the industry and, and probably the same amount of you at the same time you know you've i've seen this industry transform from an internal thinking industry to an outside in kind of an industry let me explain that meaning that you know you in the past you know 10 15 years ago you know linguistically you put a company together you you say, you know, we provide XYZ companies, XYZ services, sorry, and then you wait for the customer to arrive. And then we do, this is what we do, sort of boxed into our solution. And if it doesn't fit, then the customer would go and find some other service provider to do the work. I'm glad mm-hmm. to hear you. And I'm, I'm starting, not just you. I mean, I'm seeing the shift in everybody I talk to. Customer mm-hmm. first, let's find out what the customer wants and let's figure out a way to deliver the solutions for them. As opposed to in the past, we're saying, as I was not to repeat myself, it's the opposite. Yeah, uh, and and I think that's so important. I mean, I think look, a- any business has to have that perspective if you want to thrive. And and again, uh, we know how everything is changing so quickly. So I think it's very difficult to be successful without that mindset. And it applies to localization, but it applies to any other industry mm. um, that has an element of competition. You know, mm. like I think. If, if you go to the market just listing your products and, and your, your features, yeah. good luck with that. Um, 
but I don't think um, I think it's going to be a challenging right for for. And, and you, bring I, I, good, you bring a very good point, Pablo. I mean, we don't produce content yeah. just for the sake of producing content. I mean, content right. has a purpose. And in how do we measure a success or a failure for in in, in, a, in a specific content is by what the consumer reaction to that content is. If somebody's consuming the content, right? So the measurement is very interesting and very important, and that's why it gets into some the services that you offer. You know, search engine optimization in in multilingual search engine optimization and a few other things on the content side of things. Um, let's dig into uh, some of those topics on um, and and we've touched on that before in, in previous conversations, you and I, you know, this entire, you know, content in a multilingual content that help in multilingual uh, marketing or the purpose of multilingual marketing is the multilingual uh, to produce content in multilingual, uh, in a multilingual na nature. Um, what is your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, creating what content could, you know, should we create the content in the source language and then translate it, for instance, or should we create the content in the native language? Which one is better performing better? And yeah. where, does, where does this whole technology discussions that we're having on a daily basis enter into that conversation? <laughs> That's a great question. Okay, how long do we have? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> Excellent. So look, um, that, that's a very good question. I think to, 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 to address the, the first point that, that you covered there. So I think, and you know, there's something I've thought a lot coming from the localization industry now being more in multilingual content creation. Like what is the difference? When do you translate? When do you write content? And I think there's no hard rule about that. Like it depends really what the purpose of that content is, right? So I think anything that is in, informative, um, a press release, some, you know, I don't know, there's so many types of, of, of content where localization, transcreation is a great is a great option and it works really well um, for, for many reasons. I think when it comes down to a very specific domain, which is if you are in a very competitive environment and you have, um, you know, if you th think about the travel industry, how many people are there competing with your business? So you need to stand out. So if, if, if I want to travel to uh, Montreal tomorrow, I'm sure you know, I'm going to get 20 different websites offering me flights and different things. So how are you going to differentiate yourself? This is a super aggressive uh, content. So if you're really fighting for that and you really want to attract customers, I think you have to be very mindful of what message you want to see, where I'm a person that is uh, searching that in, in the UK, or maybe I'm searching that in France or in another place, I think you're going to have to put a bit of thought into how you want to capture that customer. And I think that's where the data suggests that creating content, it performs better than localization. And it's, I think nobody would be surprised by that, right? You're going to be able to uh, personalize the message a lot more. Uh, you're going to have, you have going to have more freedom in how you craft that message. And again, I think especially, I mean, I think it's for me is the, is the, the fact that you can really tailor it to, to your audience. Um, so I think when it comes to SEO, when it comes to online conversions, content creation will always perform better than translation. Now, there are other factors there. Speed, cost, right? Yes. So again, uh, not every company uh, wants to fight for every market. Um, some pieces of content are very long, maybe timing is an issue. And, and I think that's when you have to start to make trade-offs. Now, if, but if my, my recommendation is always, if you have a product that is very important to you and you want to position it really well in 
uh, international markets, I think content creation is going to deliver better performance and the data would suggest that. And, and so can you speak to the availability of resources in that space? Because when we move from, and the reason we translate, obviously, we don't create directly in, 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 in target language content is because probably there's so much to do from the target perspective, from the source perspective, there's big volumes, et cetera. Um, and then the resources becomes, becomes an issue. It's easier pro- perhaps to do the translation versus finding a subject matter. You don't want anybody to write that. You want subject matter expert to write it, I'm assuming, right? I, ideally, right? And again, I, I think one <laughs> of the things that uh, surprised me a little bit about um, the content marketing or the you know, multilingual content marketing industry, where I am now, if I can call that an industry, is that actually you can do things so it's not that much more expensive or it doesn't take that long. So, I mean, I, I was very surprised when, when I joined Key Content at the speed in which we could write, um, you know, millions and millions of, of words or sections of blogs, um, you know, almost, uh, in, you know, it would take as little time as it would do with translation. So, again, I think for me, it's about the message. It's not so much, you know, are, are you selling a product that is really expensive? Are you selling a product that is really competitive? That's where you want to differentiate yourself. Like, you know, like we said before, you always have to think of the customer right outside in. Absolutely. That, that is the way of doing that. Now, of course, and I think this touches with, with the second part of your question, um, we are seeing all these uh, upcoming technology in terms of AI content creation and AI translation. And w- obviously, one of the things that that's going to do is going to lower the cost of producing um content in language, right? So without translating, you can actually create content directly into those languages. So cost is no longer as, as much a barrier as it used to be. Again, and we and we can go into that. That's, that's a big topic in itself. But I think if you think about it, um, cost to speed is no longer a barrier because there are tools that can help you uh, navigate in that. It, course, it, yeah. And we've talked about it yesterday as well. Like um, when we uh, were preparing for this episode, uh, is that in a in a world that is filled now with tools and software and assisted tools, I would call it, to make the job a little bit easier, to make it go a little bit faster, we agreed that we probably still need a human to be in control of that. Uh, be in somewhere, you know, keeping an eye on, uh, you know, if I write a text and I use, I don't know, uh, Grammarly, for instance, I don't want to mention any name because they're not sponsoring this channel, but here, I threw this one out. Um, okay. Grammarly, for instance, to assist me in my grammar or my dictation, et cetera. You know, I mean, I'm still writing, uh, you know, but, you know, because most of us are pressed with time and have got so many t- things to do, you may not be catching all the errors that you commit as you typing, as you're writing. Uh, so tools like this can help us. And, and of course, you know, chat GPT and trying to generate some ideas on or fine tuning a text. And you wrote, mm-hmm. you wrote it, you give it to chat GPT and you put it in a, a little bit more, um, you know, you know, fine tuning of your text and then revising it after. It makes the job a little easier, but you're still involved. It's not like you press the button and all of a sudden the article has been published. No, you're still in the middle of it. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I, that, that's exactly how I see it. It is one more tool in your toolbox, right? right. So, so this... This technology, and by the way, obviously the, the whole AI conversation goes beyond uh, language and content, right? So obviously that, that, that I think 
for me, there are three levels. You know, there's obviously a wider macro environment conversation which talks about regulation and, um, you know, not for once, it's not just our industry that is yeah. <laughs> under the, the microscope, right? I think there are, it, there are so many, if not every uh, industry potentially be affected by that. But, you know, that, that's a topic maybe for, for another time. But I think where, where I see this, this technology really affecting what we do, I mean, for me, in, in, in two different ways. One is the content creation, which I'll address in a second. And the other thing is going to change how we search, right? So at the moment, the typical search, you go to Google and I, I want to know, you know, a nice restaurant in my area or things like that. And I think that's going to change how people search and how people get those results. That's going to change, which is already is going to change the way we produce content for that end. So that's, again, one, one, one subject, maybe more on, on the SEO front. On the content creation part, um, I think it's exactly uh, what you said. I think it's a tool. I think you can use it very creatively. But also, I think it's a tool that, and by the way, there are so many um, uh, content creation tools, amazing tools, right? right? So I, mean, I think that uh, if someone is interested, um, we are doing at the moment a project, on, uh, you can follow it on our LinkedIn page, where we are reviewing different tools. Obviously, ChatGPT is, is the, the better known one, and obviously it's got a lot of coverage. But, you know, we are reviewing, I mean, I think it's about 10, 15 different tools. And yeah. what we see is that uh, some tools are better than others, depending on what kind of content or depending what you're trying to do with them. But, you know, having said all that, um, this technology brings huge opportunities to, to businesses. Okay. So similarly to maybe what we've seen with machine translation, suddenly, um, you know, there are opportunities. Customers may be sitting on, a, on web pages that are empty and they could do with content and you could do amazing things with this technology. So, so one of the things that we started doing is we are advising clients on how to deploy this technology or we train this technology for them. Um, and, and we try to brainstorm with them where is the opportunity. And as you said, you know, if, if you just think about if you're a company that has millions of products, um, maybe you don't have the time and the budget to create yeah. product descriptions, right? For and and I think you can do really good work through some of these tools if you know how to um, how to use them. If you select the best tool for the job, and if you have the knowledge to know, as, as you know, it's a skill to to know how to use these tools and how to scale them up. So uh, I think opens new opportunities. And I think to your point, if you think of it as a tool in your toolbox and you find the right use case. You can do amazing things with this technology, and and again, we are seeing that we are, we are working on these projects today already. Absolutely, and that's um, a long answer. Absolutely, and and that brings me to um, the uh, SEO uh, international SEO uh, topic that we um, that sort of works itself through the conversation because you cannot talk about multilingual marketing or uh, or uh, content generation in multilingual or any language. To be honest with you without having a conversation about what makes you stand out. So the content needs to be good. I get that. Now, what, and, and if you, you mentioned, you know, um, say a, an airline industry or a travel agency or whoever they are, mm -hmm. and because those they tend to be global in nature. I mean, yes, you have your local market, but somebody probably from different countries or different demographics speaking language spoken in those demographics, they need to access your site. So you need good content to start with. And then when you've created the good content, that content cannot sit under thousands of pages on, on Google to be found. And you mentioned uh, 
you know, uh, you know, you made a note on, uh, you know, the searchability, it's got to get better with ChatGTP and the new tools, etc. Somebody predicted to me that, you know, those new tools will eventually replace Google eventually, because they're, you know, just imagine the current tools that we're using, and everybody's so excited about them, they're not fully 100% connected to the internet. Those are just user trained data that we're using. Imagine if that if these tools get connected to the internet. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, Google is investing money, um, um, Microsoft's investing money, all those big tech companies investing money in the generative AI type of type of type of type of tools. But yep. take us take us through the journey, if you will, and, and you have a good background in publishing. So I wanted to take to pick your brain on um, if we start with, you know, creating good content, put it in the right place. How do I put my SEO strategy together? to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm found in the market that I want to target. Excellent. And, and look, this is this is a, a super complex question and there's people in my organization that would be a lot better th th at explaining this. But uh, the, the first thing I would say, I, I would do it the other way around, right? So you start with SEO. So you um, do the analytics first and then you create the SEO. Okay. So you, so you want to know a bit like what you do with any you know marketing activity. You want to know where the demand is, what people are searching for, who are your competitors, um, where are they, um, what channels do they use. So you will do this this work, and then this work will inform the content. Right? Again, you could do it in a in a better or in a worse way. You know, you could, some some people just like stuffing keywords, and obviously that's going to read very badly. But you know, you do all that work um, per market way in advance before you start writing. And that's what's going to inform the writer, writers or technology putting together this piece to what, you know, how to structure the content, what are the important topics to cover, what are people interested in? So uh, the other way around. And again, as, as you rightly said, you know, for every market, this could change, right? So, so you know, the, the research is very, very important. There, there are other technical aspects to SEO, such as the you know, speed in which there's the page loads and how, Google trees are that's kind of more the, 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 the technical part. Um, but at the same time, and this is something, and in a way, I, I find this is fascinating. And, and actually, it, it does take me back to my publishing company days, um, which is one of the changes we are seeing in, in Google at the moment is that Google is time, because it's easier to produce content now through these tools, Google is rewarding content that is unique. Authentic. Right? And authentic, and, and, and that is written by uh, a credible source. So, you know, why we are seeing automation, content creation, um, automation, all this process, at the same time, what we are seeing is that what I, what I call editorial content, which is content written by an ex subject, mat uh, subject matter expert on a topic, tends to perform quite well. So, for example, if I want to know about the localization uh, industry in Canada, and I'm going to get you, Robin, to write an article. Why? Because you have a channel. You are you you are someone that is out there, and and Google will will treat that content very well. It's okay. He is talking about something that he understands, and therefore I'm going to position this content in a better way. This is very new. This is this is new. I mean, Google has been doing this only for a few months, but it does make sense if you think about it. That's a way in which you can differentiate your content. So. Days, as, as you were saying, the, well, the, what would assume, uh, Pablo, they're going to adjust the algorithms, right? I mean, you know, with all the tools that are coming up right now, if they don't adjust the algorithm of, of retrievability or searchability, um, and that's going to put a whole bunch of junk, if you will, 
at the top of the scale, which not necessarily a authentic opinion that is written by a valid person. And and it's not it's not what you want to read, right? So so um, so if you think about it, we, we think about oh, it's 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 more cost effective to produce content, but let's think about the consumer, how they're going to react. And I think this is a reaction exactly to what you just said. If I've got to, I I could ask ChatGPT to write an article about the localization industry in Canada, but I'd rather read the one you write. That's going to be far more interesting, and Google is going to reward yours, not the other one. If it's an anonymous, um, you know, content that that doesn't add any value to to the reader. So I think that's very interesting because. You know, and, and and as always, people say, oh, you know, and we saw this in localization, right? Oh, machine translation, the end of the translators. We've seen exactly the same thing. Uh, is the end of the writers? Well, actually, if you're a good writer with a good profile, with a good social media presence, mm -hmm. I think you're going to be doing very well in the next few years. You know, this is this whole resistance to change topic. I should probably do an episode on this one. It is not specific <laughs> just to the translation or the I want to call it the. Uh, knowledge-based industry, um, every human trait or every human, uh, probably, you know, most of us don't like to be uh, introduced to new ideas or new change. I, I design my world. I, I am in my world. Don't introduce a lot of changes to that world because I'm comfortable within that world. And, you know, the same goes for translators, uh, desktop publisher. It doesn't matter. In our, I'm, I'm speaking about just our industry, right? Sure. And so... And then you have these ideas that are being generated from outside of our industry. This is this is this is the fascinating part. You know, these hard technologies are I want to call these changing technologies are very breakthrough technology that we're seeing right now. They did not get generated from inside of our industry, which is fascinating. This should have been trans, you know been created in our industry, not from outside our industry, and our industry being the recipient of it. Now. This is where, you know, the conversation that I touched on yesterday, and I'm putting a panel on this, I hope you, be, I hope you, you agree to be my guest on that one, is, oh, is, the, is the localization industry, um, you know, served its purpose to wait up till now, and now we need mm. to work about, talk, talk about being, be it a part of the knowledge-based industry. So have the old fashioned translation. And, 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 you know, this is not obviously work for everybody. I'm not saying that at all. Um, I'm saying for the companies that are evolving beyond taking a document, translating it, and sending it back to a customer, have we now moved into a knowledge-based industry? And this is what we should be considering ourselves. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about the knowledge-based industry and you're doing it. I mean, from what you've described to me in key content, you are there already. I mean, you're not just localizing the content, you're creating the content and you're doing a whole bunch of work and services. You're offering a bunch of services around the content. And this is where most of the traditional, I would call them boutique, uh, small to medium size. And there's about 19,000 apparently in our industry globally. It's going to be a, it's going to be a market for everybody. I mean, let's, let's face it. You know, some customers are going to prefer to do the artisan way of doing translation, right? So just like a baker, you go to your baker, say, hey, I want handmade bread by my local baker. I know them. I mm -hmm. so, And some people, I don't care. I'm just going to go to the supermarket and buy a bunch of them and throw them in my freezer. <laughs> but I, I think that's a very interesting topic. And, and I think I would go even further. Than that. So I think that there is the whole thing about adapting. And as you said, you know, changing a little bit the focus of the industry. But let's think about the opportunity. I do believe that 
people in the localization industry are very well placed to take advantage of these changes. All these things are things that we've all been hearing, admittedly to a different scale, I know, but you know, when machine translation came over, the way the concept of garbage in, garbage out, how do you prep files um, so they can perform better through through TM, so machine translation, we do have, this is, this is in our brains, we've been dealing with this for a long time. So I think people in our industry are very well positioned, better than other industries, I would say, to take advantage of these changes. You just need to know to your point, what problems are you solving with them? You know, I, and, and I think in addition to what you're talking about change, I think what you cannot do is try to compete with these uh, technology giants, right? I think that for someone to, to try to compete against that, I mean, I think that we fully just have to embrace that change and, and use it for your own purposes. And, and um, you, spoke, you spoke about opportunity, which is where we need to be yeah. thinking, all of us, because we're all business people at the end of the day. And uh, uh, we do the service uh, for two reasons. One is to enable communication between demographics, which is very ideal. And we want to be a good citizen. And we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing for everybody to enable communication, creating bridges. Um, and the other thing we do this, and which is very, very important, we do it because we're business people. We want to create a, a stream of revenue, a stream of profitability out of it. So think, you know, I mean, I'm always surprised, you know, we, if you take it on a micro level, just a micro mm -hmm. level, take a project, website, whatever, somebody develop a website, they created, they, you know, a, you know, take an example, finance company, pharmaceutical company, et cetera, they spend you know, a million dollar creating, I'm just throwing that as an example, creating a website. And then just toward the end of that creation creation project of the website, somebody decides, oh, we need to translate this. And then they send it to a translation company or a localization company. They spend, let's say, $50,000. I'm going to throw that number in there. So, and then from there on, they just take it and publish the content. And what did the localization industry got out of that? $50,000. The size yeah. of the knowledge-based industry worldwide is $382 billion. The size yeah. of the localization nice. industry is $60 billion. So yeah. the size of the pie, if we transform our industry, is much larger from a business opportunity perspective. That's my I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Right. So 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 I think um, and I don't know, maybe as an industry we've been guilty of that in the past. I don't think we've done a good job at selling the value of what we do. And I think this is why that that, that would be my advice, that we need to change that. I think if you spend those $50,000 localizing the website and that doesn't do anything for the client, fine. But is the client suddenly able to offer products and services in a new market and they're getting a response? And, you know, so... You know, let's think about what their goal is. The people don't, I mean, if people are translating for the sake of it, fine. People are translating for, in this case, as you said, to 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 create a business and 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 to make money and to expand right. the brand. That is very valuable. And and people that can do that well, uh, they're adding a lot of value to that organization. And I think you're right. Maybe we haven't done a, a good job as an industry to to kind of highlight that. I think this, you know, and I think there's also a difference, if I might say, around customers. Right? I'm sure. You know, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of customers. There are people that get it. The people understand the value and that concept of return on investment. I think for the clients, it's a little bit more difficult. And I think it's in our job. It's our job to to try to make them see that um, from a localization perspective. I and I think that is final point. Sorry, going on. I think people in the SEO world and in the e-commerce world they understand that quite well. Yeah, yeah. So they understand. 
I've got very high growth targets in, I want to expand to North America. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to do something that makes makes me achieve those targets. And I think that's right. a difference I've seen with maybe the typical um, localization buyer in, in other industries or, or the different person in the same organization. Absolutely. So, um, so, so you're going to revolutionize the industry. I like your ideas, you know, like, so t- mean, tell me more about these panels. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, one of the panels that I was thinking about uh, putting uh-huh. together, actually, um, uh, 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 Maria Jose uh, gave me the idea, uh, my friend from Argentina, that we should probably put a panel together about the knowledge-based industry and how uh, many companies in our localization world uh, industry are thinking about moving to from a localization predefined structure, if you will, to expanding the horizon and moving to a knowledge-based industry. And, mm-hmm. and all it means is you're providing a service A now, tomorrow you're going to be providing A, B, C, D. Uh, you're going to add more services within the same, within the same um, uh, vein, if you will, uh, of, of content, you know, content treatment, content creation, you know, content transformation. However, you want to, you want to do that consultation, expertise, idea. Mm-hmm. I think, the heavy price the localization industry is buy, is paying right now is 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 being generated by we started as a professional industry at the beginning mm-hmm. and every industry goes through those cycles right so yeah. one of them and we uh commoditized our services quite a bit and i'm talking globally and yeah. so the price you pay when you commoditize something is um what we what we're just talking about look for other opportunities you're not satisfied anymore that's why, in, and there's a, several examples in industries, for instance, for instance, the, cons- the consulting industry, like, uh, you know, the big five that, you know, Ernst & Young, PwC, et cetera, they don't change. They're the same. They maintained a professional structure of how they sell their services. They did not downgrade the price because I'm competing with somebody else. Um, in our industry, we're famous for that. I mean, race to the bottom. And yeah. you don't have any reasons for business in some cases. Uh, because once, you know, a business doesn't make any money, well, then what is the reason of or, you know, the squeeze that happens on the resources to deliver at a faster rate, at a cheaper rate, so we can make a couple of cents at the end of the day. Um, you know, that's where the knowledge-based industry transformation from a localization <laughs> perspective is going to be extremely helpful. Because now you're not anymore fighting for that piece of pie that everybody wants to fight for. You're just going into a different direction and trying to figure out, okay, what other services I can offer where there's less competition on it? And the skills are valued a lot more than what we are talking about in our localization industry. I could not agree more. <laughs> I mean, it's a business opportunity at the same time. I mean, it's a huge business opportunity. You go from a, a, you know, a very small industry globally when, you know, this, you know, let's face it, $60 billion is from an industry perspective, industry size perspective, yeah. although it's very important, uh, absolutely necessary, we need the industry to do what it does on a day-to-day basis, supporting, helping customers, market, etc. $60 billion is not that big of an industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. And I, I like your point about the pricing. I think that's open and we've, uh, we've been all part of that. And, and, you know, it's become really commoditized, as you said. And I think that, um, when it's your commoditized, you, you can be replaced. I think that's that's also the, the thing. You know, I think that the knowledge-based model that you're describing, 
makes you future-proof. It means that there is a shift because of technology, because of uh, business environment. You still survive because you're still giving value in that way. Um, yes. So, yeah, I mean, every word. <laughs> I totally agree. Great. That's well, I'm glad we agree, Pablo. I mean, we, no, we have not just you <laughs> But I, I, I think beyond our industry, right, and, and I'm, I'm going back, I'm thinking more, not, not my current clients, which, as I said, they're a little bit different, but, you know, my, my previous lo- clients in localization, honestly, I think the clients get this. I think the clients see the value. I think the clients, if the client sees you solving the problems, going beyond the price per word, um, solving business problems for them and finding opportunities for them, they treat you very differently. They treat you very, very differently. So, I, and, and always those relationships are the ones that last the longest. So, yeah, I, I agree. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to the panel. Um, so I think we're in agreement. So I think maybe it's a bit of a boring debate. <laughs> but um, So maybe maybe we should introduce somebody who contradicts our opinion to the panel. Exactly, right? So you need to do some market research and see... Uh, yeah, who thinks we should go the commodity way? I'm, yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> someone would agree with that. <laughs> but know, um, when you when you commoditize an industry, and we've seen what happened with the telecom industry, we've seen what happened with the printing industry, when they get really commoditized, you have two options: either you close shop or you transform. And so they transform their business. Telecom transformed their business. Some of the companies in telecom don't exist anymore. BlackBerry is an example. They still do uh, some software, but they don't exist really. Um, and in the uh, printing industry, you know, it's they transformed the entire um, because there was so competition and race to the bottom on the hardware. It's more about services now. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I look going back to the opportunity. Everyone talks about LLMs, language models, etc. This is some of the technology we were using already. So again, let's think about the opportunity. Yeah. How well placed this industry is to be relevant. In a world where you know language is a factor, so yep. I I think that it, that is that is the opportunity. So yeah, um, you know I mean if you want to lobby for that, I'm totally you know I, no, I mean look I mean uh, or, or we you know the two of us are talking here, and I'm not sure how many yeah. people would agree with us, but let's let's hope a few does, and I think uh, I think there's some merits to have a conversation around it. <clears throat> yeah, no, I'm sure. I mean, I think if, I mean you've. You've got your a good number of, of listeners and viewers, right? So I'm sure it would be great to hear what they think about this topic. I think it's, it's interesting. And I think it's interesting to see also how it changes from maybe small to medium to large companies. I think it'd be great. Yeah, I think. So you could you could do that and maybe open open up for questions, you know, when you do your panel. I think it'd be amazing. I think it'd be really Absolutely. Hey, we're coming up to the hour here, Pablo. I want to oh. thank you uh, so much for being with me today. Uh, it was a great pleasure to have this conversation. I would have talked to you for a couple of hours, but unfortunately, we have we have we're coming on a time here. We have to uh, we have to um, on, I guess. But thank you so much for being part of this. I'll give you the I'll give you the opportunity for a final word, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Well, again, thank you for having me. I enjoyed that. I think it was great. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you know, and again. Uh, Everyone is happy to reach me. You can find me on, on LinkedIn if you have any questions about anything of, you know, regarding what I said and or, or the organization. Um, and I think if, if I have to give you one final thought, okay, you put me on the spot there. Um, maybe, yeah, may, maybe thinking about what we've just been talking about. I think in a time of change, you know, it's easy to get lost and, and you know, to lose your way and, and to panic. 
I find it very helpful to stop and think, okay, lots of things are changing. And, and as you said before, that's normal. What is not changing? What is not changing? People still need to buy products and services. People will still like to consume good content that is relevant to them. People would like to see content in their own language. Think about what is not changing because that is where the opportunity is. And, and I think that when you get a little bit overwhelmed, that's a good reminder of what you should be focusing on. That would be my, my final thought. Absolutely. And uh, couldn't have said it better. Words of wisdom. Uh, thank you, Pablo, again. And for our audience who are joining us live, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. Uh, keep an eye on our next conversation. We record this episode every Friday morning around nine o'clock. I hope you'll join us. And if you're not a subscriber to the channel, YouTube channel, please consider subscribing. And we are also available on all podcast channels that you know about, Apple, Spotify. I don't want to go through the list. Uh, if you want to download this episode, wait a few days. We'll be public. Uh, we'll publish it after we do um, our edits. And uh, by the way, um, I do the edits. So hopefully I'm doing a good job. I don't know. Multitask on the weekends. Um, <laughs> Great. Thanks so much, Pablo. And uh, until next time, hopefully you join me again next time for another topic, another conversation. Thank you.